Welcome to Chetting Kea On Air, a series of discussions about topical legal issues hosted by Chetting Kea. We're a full-service law firm based in Istanbul, serving local and international clients. With decades of experience, we provide bespoke legal and compliance advice to law firms, businesses, individuals, entrepreneurs and families. Hello and welcome to the first podcast in our Business and Human Rights series, uh, Chetinkaya Podcasts or Chetinkaya Online. I'm here with uh, Atakan Gongorda, um, who's a member of our team uh, involved in business and human rights, compliance, litigation and dispute resolution. How, how are you, Atakan? I'm good. How are you, Kevin? Yeah, very good. Very good, thanks. Um, so, so today, um, well, just, just to sort of mention a little bit about you, you've, you've um, sort of been working with the IBA and you, you've, you've been in the Netherlands recently. Yeah, exactly. So, what, what, were, what were you doing there? I first graduated uh, from Koch University. I studied law there and then uh, practiced uh, in Turkey for two years. Okay. I then went to the Netherlands to uh, study uh, international human rights law at Leiden University. Mm-hmm. Uh, after graduating from there with a distinction, I did an internship with the International Bar Association. Wow. And then I'm here with Chetinkaya now. Excellent, excellent. And, uh, and when you were working in uh, private practice before, business and human rights was your sort of, was that your main practice, would you say? Or? Um, it, it's a still developing uh, area in Turkey. So um, we did do some uh, stuff relating to that. But where I really um, started to gain experience in this was during my uh, LLM year, where I could have um, engagement with uh, industry experts and professors and attending workshops and so on. Excellent, excellent. Okay, and um, what we're going to be talking about today is um, why are human rights uh, important for businesses operating in Turkey and and globally? Is that right? Yes, that's right. So um, when when people think about human rights, they usually uh, think that it's only related to what states should or should not do. So uh, this has been the common understanding of human rights for many years, but that's why the question of why should businesses care for human rights is is an important question that a lot of managers and business owners ask these days. So why should our business respect human rights if it's only a duty of a state to uh, protect human rights? Okay. And the answer is businesses impact human rights. So uh, this impact could be uh, positive, uh, like providing employment or uh, improving infrastructure where this business operates. But it can also be a negative impact, like uh, exploiting workers or polluting the environment. So um, just as an example, when a global oil company pollutes a lake in a in a poor country and destroys the living environment of thousands of people, who is responsible for this? Is it the government that do not have appropriate laws uh, against pollution, or is it the company that uh, take advantage of this lack of accountability in this poor country and knowingly pollute the lake? So uh, international human rights law experts have been dealing with this question uh, for decades, and recently with the endorsement of the United Nations Guiding Principles on Business and Human Rights, we now have a clear framework defining 
who is responsible for what. Okay, uh, and what are the, the, the UN guiding principles, Atakan? As I said, there had been uh, prior attempts to hold businesses accountable for their human rights abuses, um, but none of these had uh, success and authority of the UN guiding principles. So in 2005, uh, the United Nations appointed Professor John Ruggie as the UN Special Rapporteur on Business and Human Rights. And after six years of work and countless consultations with states, business leaders, uh, advocacy groups, Professor Rugi uh, drafted the UN Guiding Principles, and in 2011, the UN Human Rights Council unanimously endorsed the Guiding Principles, making it the first corporate human rights responsibility initiative to be approved by the UN. And this this Guiding Principles rests on three pillars, really. Um, and the first one is the state's duty to protect against human rights abuses, the second one is the corporate responsibility to respect human rights. And the third one is access to remedy. Excellent, excellent. So the, the state duties to protect against human rights abuses, um, what would they be? Th this is the, the, the first one that really comes to everyone's mind. States should protect individuals from human rights abuses. And the, the UN guiding principles also uh, say this. And... Um, in this regard, uh, the state should protect against human rights abuses that were committed by businesses, and, and uh, therefore the state should prevent, investigate, punish, and redress if any of these abuses occur. And if, if a state fails to do so, uh, then this may constitute a breach of their international human rights obligations. Therefore, um, states are required to develop uh, effective policies, enact legislation and regulations, and so on, to uh, protect individuals from human rights abuses of businesses. Excellent. And the, the second pillar of the guiding principles is the, the most important one, really, and the one that we're focusing on today. Uh, and it's the corporate responsibility to respect human rights. Okay. Um, so the businesses should be respecting human rights in two ways. First, by way of avoiding infringing on human rights of others. And second, by addressing adverse human rights impacts with which they are involved in. So a very important point here is that philanthropic deeds of businesses, such as uh, doing corporate responsibility projects and, uh, and things like that, do not really compensate for infringing on human rights. To, to give you an example, an oil company that pollutes the environment in one region cannot clean its hands by planting trees in another region. Also, uh, it is not enough for companies to follow the laws of the country where they operate because national laws usually provide the bare minimum protection for the right holders. And this is especially true for the developing countries where the where the governments are usually unable or unwilling to protect human rights of their citizens. Therefore, the guiding principles say that businesses should respect human rights even where the countries they operate are unable or unwilling to comply with human rights standards. The corporate responsibility to respect human rights do not depend whether or not the relevant state fulfills its own human rights obligations. Okay. So, so up until now, you know, we've established that 
businesses have a responsibility to, to respect human rights. And I, I suppose it leads to the sort of most important question. How can business enterprises ensure that they meet their human rights responsibilities? Uh, these days, a lot of uh, businesses claim to respect human rights, but of course, uh, claiming is not enough. Uh, businesses must have systems in place to support their claims with confidence and show that they respect human rights. So, according to the guiding principles, there are three uh, overarching policy and processes for uh, businesses to implement in order to show that they uh, respect human rights. These are uh, first, a policy commitment mm -hmm. to meet their responsibility to respect human rights. The second one is the human rights due diligence process to identify, prevent, and mitigate, and account for how they address their human rights impact. Mm -hmm. And the third one is uh, processes to enable uh, the remediation of any adverse human rights impact that they may cause. So. To give you a really short uh, rundown of this, uh, the policy commitment uh, is a statement by businesses that publicly announces their responsibilities, commitments, and expectations that's related to human rights. And this should be drafted by experts on the topic. And this statement should be shared internally and externally with all the workers, the partners of the business, the investors, and other relevant parties. And an important aspect here is that the policy commitment should be approved by the most senior level staff mm -hmm. and to ensure that the respecting human rights is taken very seriously within the company. So what are the human rights due diligence aspects to take notice of? So this is actually the most important part uh, of the guiding principles, uh, which says that businesses should conduct human rights due diligence to identify, prevent, uh, mitigate, and address their potential adverse human rights impacts. And conducting due diligence is not a foreign concept to businesses. For decades, businesses have been conducting transactional due diligence. And different from transactional due diligence, uh, human rights due diligence concerns risks to people instead of risks to businesses. Okay. And um, human rights due diligence actually can be included within the existing risk management systems of businesses. But uh, an important aspect here is that due diligence process should not stop at simply identifying and managing material risks to the company itself. It must include the rights of the individuals that can be affected by the uh, operations of the company. And this due diligence process should be an ongoing process. It should be initiated in the development of every business activity or relationship as early as possible. And um, according to the UN Working Group on Business and Human Rights, conducting corporate human rights due diligence has become a norm of expected conduct these days. Um, because conducting human rights due diligence in their operations allows businesses to minimize the risk of potential legal claims against them by showing that they, they took all the reasonable actions to avoid causing or being involved in human rights abuses. Therefore, businesses uh, should take human rights due diligence as seriously as transactional due diligence, um, both for the sake of the affected parties and their own well-being. Okay. So, so what would be the, the sort of 
access to, to, to remedy. Uh, this is the, the, the final aspect uh, of the guiding principles, and companies should be providing access to remedy alongside with the state-based uh, remedies, such as uh, going to the courtroom, for example. Mm -hmm. And these remedies could be operational-level uh, grievance mechanisms in which the business remedies the affected right holders without the involvement of the state. And these types of remedies are far better than settling in a courtroom because there are no reputational costs involved in this compared to the litigation process where uh, the company faces a, a big reputational cost. Okay. And lastly, um, these remedies uh, should be effective, of course, and the guiding principles uh, have a a number of uh, requirements for a remedy to be effective, and, and these include um, it should be a legitimate remedy, it should be an accessible remedy, a predictable, a transparent, and a rights-compatible remedy. Okay. So, so what is the legal status of this document? I mean, is it, is it legally binding? Or? The UN Guiding Principles is a non-binding soft law document. It's a significant step towards a coherent legal framework to ensure businesses respect human rights, but uh, it's a non-binding document. But when, when we say non-binding, it could be uh, also a misleading one because there are a lot of costs that are involved in this when companies do not comply with these um, guiding principles. Okay, okay, very interesting. And, and so, you know, why should companies you know, comply with the guiding principles, would you say? As I said, uh, guiding principles are not binding, but uh, a lot of companies, global companies actually, are voluntarily committing to these principles. And the main reason is, the, is that uh, there have been uh, a lot of unpleasant experiences in the past of companies that committed uh, really big human rights violations. And other companies that have witnessed this, that witnessed the devastating effects of human rights scandals mm -hmm. of their competitors, are now taking action, uh, even though the international or usually domestic legal fr frameworks uh, don't oblige them to uh, comply with these rules. So just to give you some insight uh, from an economist survey, um, in 2014, The Economist surveyed um, uh, senior corporate executives and 80, 83% of them believe that companies have the responsibility to respect human rights and performance of their companies in this regard have an impact on enhancing human rights protection. But apart from the sentiments of senior corporate executives, um, investors, shareholders, consumers, governments, and civil society expect and increasingly demand businesses to respect human rights. So to give you some examples of the costs that are involved when uh, companies do not uh, comply with human rights, when such a crisis occur in a company, oftentimes uh, these crises uh, require the involvement of senior management in the matter and allocation of senior staff in an extraordinary matter costs a lot of time and disruption of the regular business operations of the company. Mm -hmm. And on top of this, uh, once 
uh, such events turn into court cases, it would mean hefty litigation fees and terrible publicity for the company. Even if the lawsuit isn't lost in the end, it would take years in the courtroom, and, and this is not something businesses want. But above all of these, there is the reputational cost that a human rights violation would bring to the business. And although uh, reputational cost is not easy to quantify, it's a cost that no business would be willing to bear, really. And the risks attached to the reputational damage uh, involves investors divesting, consumers losing confidence in the business, uh, condemnation in the media. These are uh, some of the risks attached to the reputational cost. And um, respecting human rights is essentially a practice of risk management, and no business would prefer not knowing the risks it faces. Businesses committed to respecting human rights will be able to identify these risks and uh, take concrete steps to mitigate them, which will translate into business continuity, sustainability, and commercial advantage. And to give you a, an example, in the social media age, Everyone is a reporter these days, and uh, even a seemingly innocent incident in a business's operations or in its supply chain may quickly end up in, in news feeds of millions of customers. And one viral tweet can make the difference between attracting new customers or turning all against the business. So in this sense, systematically uh, managing human rights risks simply mean ease of mind for companies. It, it is a safeguard for their commercial reputation and their brand image. Okay. So, so that kind of gives us like uh, an overview, if you like, of how things work internationally. Are there any sort of things that are sort of Turkey-focused that, that, that we can say at the moment? So currently, there are no uh, domestic laws in Turkey that require businesses uh, to respect human rights. But this is a growing area, as I said. And for instance, uh, there are laws enacted in, in the UK, in France, Germany and Switzerland are also in the process of enacting new laws. So, of course, in the near future, I think Turkey will also be focusing on this area. But even though there are no binding laws in this regard, we should bear in mind that the UN guiding principles also apply to companies that operate in Turkey. Um, and these include domestic companies, Turkish companies, but also foreign companies that have investments in Turkey, operations in Turkey. So if we take, for example, a global textile brand that sourced products from Turkey, this company will not want to face any costs that I just mentioned. So it will want its operations in Turkey to comply with the UN guiding principles and the international human rights framework. Although there are no binding laws in Turkey, the global brands, global companies will still want to have these uh, the human rights practices implemented. Excellent, excellent. Uh, sounds very, very interesting. And, uh, and it sounds like, you know, if you're a Turkish organization and you want to work with other companies, it, it's good to get these kind of aspects sort of thought about in your business and, and to maybe have some, some sort of things in place to, to, to take these into account, would you say? Exactly. Um, if you are a Turkish company that, that's in the supply chain of a global brand, um, you in if if not now in a in a 
in a very short time, this global brand will ask you questions about your human rights compliance. It, it will want reports, it will want processes and policies that how you um, respect human rights in your factory or in your operations. It is also complying with its human rights obligations globally, whether it operates in Turkey or in other countries. Excellent, excellent. Th- thank you very much, Atakan. Um, is, is there anything that, that, that you want to add to that? Or? Yeah, just uh, one last thing. I just wanted to mention that um, respecting human rights for businesses is, is, is not just a moral issue anymore. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a global legal trend, and, and the center of this issue is moving away from moral concerns towards international legal obligations. And uh, apart from the UN guiding principles, there's also talks right now at the United Nations level uh, about a legally binding treaty that will hold businesses accountable for their human rights abuses. So this area is uh, very much in focus right now in the international community. And the businesses who are pioneers in this area, who are in the forefront of complying with human rights will have a lot of advantages compared to their competitors. Excellent, excellent. And, you know, um, and business and human rights seems to be a very niche legal area in Turkey. You know, if anyone's listening out there and they, they, they need to get a bit of, you know, uh, a bit more on the, the, the topic and would like to sort of make sure your company's sort of looking into this and, and being active uh, and, and a pioneer in this area. So so you can see Atakan's uh, profile on our website. Atakan is also, you've uh, been authoring some some articles exactly. recently, haven't you? So you, you've had Moving in Different Directions, the reverse mobbing article, go exactly. on, which you've done with our partner, um, Altug Osgun. And uh, I mean, you've got some other articles on the way as well, haven't you? So exactly. Uh, I am uh, now drafting a series on business and human rights, sort of the topics that we were chatting about today, and uh, it will be like a 15-article uh, series, 15 mm-hmm. articles, and um, it will go into details of what I just discussed today. Fantastic, fantastic. And, um, and we're going to have a, another sort of business and human rights-focused uh, topic to speak about in the, in the next few weeks. So, yeah. Um, so that'll be great as well. Thank you very much. Uh, that, that was very interesting. Thank you, Kevin. And, um, and if you want to see any of our insights, um, please do go onto the Chet Kaya website. Thank you. If you have any feedback on this podcast or would like to recommend other topics for us to discuss, you can contact us at info at also, for more information on what we do and our other insights, please visit our webpage, chattingkaya.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.